Commentary. There we go. On June 17, 1775, some 2,200 British soldiers under General William Howe and General Robert Piggott marched to Breed's Hill, where American colonists had established their camp. The American army was outnumbered. They were outgunned. In order to conserve their supplies, Colonel William Prescott told the American soldiers, don't fire until you see the white of their eyes. As a result of this tactic, though the Americans technically lost the battle of Bunker Hill, they were able to do significant harm to the British army and begin to establish themselves that they actually might have a shot. Because of this, they killed 200 British soldiers, wounded 800 more, all because they waited to see the white of the eyes of the British army. Again, they would go on to lose this war, or this battle of the war, but it helped them persevere throughout. It helped them in this strategy. While we're certainly not here to talk about the American Revolution, you should know me well enough by now, I would rather much more talk about the battle for the kingdom of God than I would of this world. But we are here to talk about just that. The battle which we labor in which we need to see the white of our enemy's eyes. Because it is that close of a battle that we fight. A battle against a real enemy of Satan. Fighting a real war. But a spiritual one. That's what we see in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 24. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open up there now. Just to kind of give us a, a running start and a recap to sum up where we've been here in this letter to the Ephesians. The Apostle Paul wrote this two halves. The first half primarily focusing on establishing the new identity for the Ephesian Christians in Christ. This is who you are. You have been blessed by God in Christ. He has made you alive when you were dead in your sins. He has saved you by his grace. It is by grace you were saved, not of your works. This is what Paul labored to do in the first half of this letter. Even showing them that you are now a new people. It's no longer the, the people of Israel by bloodline. It is one new people in Christ, both Jews and Gentiles, through the mutual faith in Jesus. This is now your new identity. In the second half, he's, he's focused on this is what it means to live out this faith, to live out this new identity in Christ, that you need to walk in Christ. You need to put off the old and put on the new. That you need to live differently. You need to walk in wisdom, walk in love, to walk in the ways of Christ, to walk in humility, even in submitting to one another and serving one another. But the reality is this is hard. And it's about to seem even harder when we consider the fact that we're not just doing this against ourselves and have ourselves to worry about. We are fighting an enemy and that of Satan who's the great deceiver. 
So how do we fight this battle? How do we keep laboring to put on what is new in Christ and put off the old? Well, the Apostle Paul includes his letter to the Ephesians with just this antidote. So hear the word of the Lord from Ephesians 6, 10 through 24. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Titius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now, how do we sum up this? Well, I think the main idea is this. The enemy is powerful, but Jesus is more. And he has given us the means to stand with him in victory. That's it. Hear these words again. The enemy is powerful, but Jesus is more. And he has given us the means to stand with him in victory. We're going to look at this in four different parts. Part one, our duty. Part two, our enemy. Part three, our means. And part four, our encouragement. Part number one, our duty. And fitting the shortest ever of a part one of one of my sermons. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. We as Christians are instructed to be strong, to be strong, to live this out, to live this Christian faith out. We are to be strong as we put off the old and put on the new. We're to be strong. We're to be strong as we are disciples of Jesus, as we follow Jesus. But did you catch how it labors this be strong? 
It doesn't say be strong in yourself. It doesn't say be strong in your own strength, in your own mind, in your own will. It says be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his mind. Friends, the strength we are to put on as we labor to put off the old and put on the new, as we labor to follow Jesus, is not a strength in and of ourselves. God has not called us to do what we cannot. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot strengthen ourselves. We cannot live out the Christian life by our own strength. You wonder, have you ever wondered why the local church? Because you need each other to remind you of this very thing. You need to be reminded that your strength isn't in you. Stop trying to be self-dependent and being God-dependent. Depend upon His strength. The strength that He gives. That's the call of the Christian life. To be dependent upon God and the strength that He offers us in Jesus. How? Why? Why, why is all of this? Why, why do we need to be strong? Well, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What was already hard of putting off the old ways and putting on new, just, we were just told gets harder. We have a real enemy in Satan, which we'll get to momentarily. But he is the schemer. He's full of deceptions and lies. He twists God's word. He labors to grab our hearts and our minds. This is why we must be strong in the Lord. Because the enemy would love nothing more than to pull us away from God. And yet we're told to be strong and stand firm. To not give ground. How? By putting on the full armor of God. God gives us a means to put on his strength in the full armor of God. But before we can turn to that and how this works to help us stand firm, we need to first realize our enemy. And that's where we turn in our second point. Our enemy. Told you, shortest first point ever in one of my sermons. Point two, our enemy. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Did you notice that? Who is our enemy? It's not that of flesh and blood. Friends, I want you to lean in and hear me carefully. Too often, the church is more worried about cultural battles with men and women. Do you notice who our enemy is not? It's not that of flesh and blood. The enemy is not that of our fellow man. Even those that are hostile and resistant to the gospel. The very flesh and blood that might want to kill us, they are not the real enemy. And the moment we wake up and realize who the real enemy is and stop fighting these petty cultural battles, the sooner we can actually get on to the mission of Christ. Hear me in that. 
That's what Paul's saying. That's what God's word is saying. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Who is the enemy? The rulers, the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The real enemy is Satan and all of those with him in the realm of the spiritual. That's the enemy. The schemer himself loves to work his cosmic powers over in deceiving. Every religion is that the work of Satan to deceive the true God and what he has said in his holy word. What he has revealed in Jesus, Satan loves to take and scheme and twist with little bits of truth he'll allow. And then other truths he'll hide. He'll deceive. What did he say to Eve in the garden? Did God really say? Or God's withholding good from you. Here, eat from this tree and have all the knowledge of good and evil. Have knowledge. God's withholding this from you. Just take it and eat. Do you see the schema of what he likes to do? He loves to twist all of God's word. He likes to take little bits of it and say, didn't God say? Well, he leaves and leaves it out of context where we actually don't know the truth of what God says. Friends, do we see the enemy? He loves to twist every bit of God's word. He loves to make us think life is about feeling good about ourselves instead of glorifying God and all we do. He would rather us feel good about ourselves and miss who God is. If you're feeling good about yourself and, and not seeing your ongoing need for Christ, guess what? Satan's winning. Satan's deception has crept in because you're more worried about self than you are Christ. This is how the enemy works. And it should shock us. It should cause us to awaken. We need to see here the spiritual forces that Satan works to come against us, not to, to scare us and cause us to fear, but to awaken and quicken us and excite us to take action, to stand firm, to be strong in the Lord. I love what John Calvin writes in his commentary here. He, being Paul, describes our enemy as formidable. Not to overwhelm us with fear, but to quicken our diligence and earnestness. For there is a middle course to be observed. When the enemy is neglected, he does his utmost to oppress us with sloth, and afterwards disarms us by terror, so that ere the engagement has commenced, we are vanquished. Do you see what happens if we don't have a real understanding of our enemy? If we allow fear of him to consume us, we're not quickened to battle. We're not quickened to stand firm, to be strong in the Lord. Or what we see here in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. We become lazy and fell to put on the entire armor. Sure, we might put on a piece. 
but we fail to put on the whole armor of God on a regular and daily basis. When we misconstrue who the enemy is, we fail to do this. We get lazy. We begin to fall and then become overwhelmed instead of rising and standing back up. Friends, we live in evil days. So did the Ephesians. Today is not more evil than it was previously. And yet we are called, just like the church of Ephesus, to stand. To stand and fight. Now, that does not mean we will not at times stumble along the way. It does not mean we might not get knocked off balance in the fight. The call is not for us to stand every moment without falling or without stumbling. The call is recognizing that we are going to do that. But what do we do when we do stumble? Do we fall down and stay down? Do we wallow in our sin all the more? Or do we stand back up? Hear the word of Proverbs twenty four sixteen. For the righteous falls seven times and rises again. But the wicked stumble in times of calamity. The Christian in the midst of battle keeps fighting. They keep fighting the real enemy. And when they get knocked down, they stand right back up and say, let's go. I'm not giving up. I'm going to press on and keep fighting. Friends, do we see the need to fight? Are we apathetic towards it? Because this is one of the dangers in failing to see who our enemy rightly is and also failing to see the power of Jesus. We've become apathetic to the things of God, to the tasks that we're called to. We become lazy and failing to put on the full armor. To be apathetic is a lack of feeling or showing interest. Friends, how many of us are, get more excited about our uh, favorite thing within the church, our favorite hobby, or our, our pet area, pet project, but we fail to actually get excited about God's Word? Central City Baptist Church, I want you to hear me carefully, and I mean this with love. Many of you get more excited about the things that really don't matter, the non-essentials, than you do about growing deeper in God's Word. You would rather have it easy and be able to understand it easy without being challenged by God's word and pushing to grow deeper. Friends, wake up. Stop being apathetic. Or you will not grow. You will not survive. This call, this urgency to see the enemy should excite us to stop being apathetic and say, it's time to stand and fight. It's not just time to sit on the sidelines and watch. It's time to enter the battle in various means. And we're going to look at how we do that, regardless of our ages and abilities. There's ways we can fight. The question is, will we see the need to? Will we be awakened and quickened to that kind of excitement? But there is another danger, too, here. There's the danger of thinking that the enemy has more power than he does. Friends, let me tell you something. Satan, he, he's a formidable foe. But guess what? Satan is subjected to God. 
Think about the story of Job. Does Job, in the book of Job, in chapter 1, do we not see that Satan is allowed a leash only of a certain extent that God allows? He can only touch Job in certain ways that God permits. He cannot go any further. The enemy's time is already running short. Jesus is stronger. He's the one who comes to crush the head of the serpent. Yes, Satan thought he won when Jesus was crucified on the cross. But guess what? When Jesus rose from the grave, it was ensured he's the one who comes to crush the head of the serpent. Jesus wins. And he gives us here the means to stand with him in the fight and to keep fighting with him, knowing that we're on that victorious side. That's what we need to be awakened with excitement to. The fact of fighting a war that we know the victory is already promised to everyone in Christ. Let's look at the means, though, of how to do this in point three. Our means. In verses 14 through 17, I'm not going to read through all of these, but we see these various elements of... uh, Christianity, a basic Christianity that we're called to put on like armor. Because we've already seen that we here are fighting a cosmic battle against a real enemy and that we are doing so in uh, taking up this whole armor to withstand the evil day from verse 13. And back in verse 12, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against Satan, a real enemy. So so we're going hand-to-hand combat here, not like modern-day soldiers, but think of the knights. Think of the knights of Camelot with sword and shield and a helmet. That's the kind of war we're in. So, so Paul runs with this analogy here of the spiritual armor. But notice what he, he talks about here. The, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes for feet, uh, readiness of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He calls us to put all of these on. But the reality is these are basic elements of being a Christian. Think about it this way. Being with fastening the belt of truth around us. We are to be a people grounded in truth, with truth upholding everything that we believe, that we think. Truth is to be about us. We're to practice being a people of truth, not lies and deception like the enemy. You want to stand against the enemy? Be a people of truth who seeks truth. And what is truth? Jesus. Jesus is the true one. Jesus is the word of truth. So being a people who listen and hear and obey Jesus. How do we put the belt of truth? By being putting on Jesus. Holding him. Not believing every lie and deception of the world. But believing the truth of Jesus. That his word is unchanging. That everything he has said is still true today. Let us put on the belt of truth and uphold. Putting on the breastplate of of righteousness. There's some debate here. There's some debate whether this is talking about the righteousness that is imputed or given to us, declared about us the moment we come to faith in Jesus, or whether this is righteous living, holy living, godly living. 
Both of these statements are true. We, we've already been told that we are called to put on the new man and put off the old. That is living righteousness. But here in this breastplate of righteousness, it is not talking about just holy living. It's simple reminder that we all need that if you're a Christian, you have been declared righteous in Christ. You have already been declared righteous in Jesus. It is yours. Therefore, do not allow the attacks of Satan to accuse you. I love what Martin Luther, Martin Luther here says. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is there, I shall be also. What a statement. We put on the breastplate of righteousness and reminding that as Christians, we have already been bought by the blood of Jesus. And that his righteousness has become Ours and all the accusations that Satan can throw against us, we stand because of who we are in Jesus. Our identity is sealed in Christ. What an encouragement, Christian. This is why we need to put on the whole armor. But it's not just these things. We, we put on the shoes for our feet, having the readiness given by the gospel of peace from our call to worship this morning comes from Isaiah 52, talking about this shoes of readiness, of, of this message of peace. Thanks be to those that bring good news of peace. The shoes here are both an offensive and a defensive weapon, though. They're not just one or the other. Some debate about whether it's one or the other, but it's both. Think about it this way. Shoes... If you need a sports analogy, think. Next Saturday, college football starts. In just uh, another few days, the NFL will start. Those, those linemen, when they're being pushed back, what do they have? Cleats that dig into the ground and allow them to hold back, especially that offensive line, hold back that massive defense. Think of an offensive lineman trying back in the day to, to block somebody like Reggie White of getting through. They needed to have some good shoes to, to keep them from being bulldozed to the ground. Those shoes help us to stand firm, to keep from being pressed back and give ground. They keep us from slipping along the way. So the, the gospel of peace is a means of defense and allowing us to be reminded as Christians of what we have in Jesus to, to not be pushed back. It helps us when our hearts are low with worry and anxiety and fear and dismay and sickness. It allows us to see here's the truth. Here's the good news I have in Jesus. And guess what? It trumps everything I'm going through because it's my hope. My hope's not in this world, but it's in Christ. And therefore, this gospel reminder, this gospel of peace assures me that I stand with peace before a holy God. That's why the gospel must be front and center. The gospel must be front and center in all that we do because it reminds us of who we are in Jesus. But it's not just this defensive weapon, it's an offensive Again, Isaiah 52 talks about the one who brings good news. Friends, 
Christians, how can we bring good news to the, those who have yet to hear if we do not move our feet, if we do not go, if we do not proclaim? How can we tell others this good news of peace that is found in Jesus Christ? One of the best tools to advance the kingdom of God and to push back the enemy is to take the gospel forward. Again, we need to wake up from being apathetic and, and begin to take the gospel. We need to tell others of this gospel of peace in Jesus so that people may hear and believe. It's the gospel, shoes of the gospel of peace are both defensive and offensive means. But we also are to take up the shield of faith. Hear what Charles Simeon says about this. Faith is universally applicable to every species of temptation. Faith discerns the truth of the gospel and thereby is fitted to preserve the head from error. It discerns also the importance and excellence of the gospel and is therefore proper to preserve the heart from sin. You must take up the shield of faith because it is what extinguishes every dart and arrow that is flaming from Satan. It puts them out because faith helps us hold to what is true. Faith helps us to rest in the promises of God when Satan would love to make us crumble. Faith helps us to endure sin and or to, to flee from sin and persevere from temptations, to flee from them without giving ground. But two, we, we must see that we are called to put on the helmet of salvation. Here, Christian, this is the only helmet that saves us because it's reminding us that the helmet of salvation is that of Jesus it's never been about our works being what saves us. The helmet of salvation is found in Christ alone because he is the one who went to the cross and suffered and died so that we may live in him. He's the one who endured the curse so that we could be free. And yet there are friends around us, maybe some even here, who do not yet believe. They keep trying to put on a helmet of their own making, a helmet of their own trust, that trust in themselves, their own works, or false ideology. Friend, whatever helmet you're trying to put on besides the helmet of Christ, it will not save you. It cannot save. See that you will continue to try on various helmets and hats, but it will never relieve you of your damnation, of the judgment against your sin. The helmet of salvation that is found in Christ and Christ alone, though, it will. It saves. Jesus saves. So believe in Christ. Believe in him alone. Trust in his works, not yours. And yet then we see a final weapon here. We see the sword of the spirit, which is clarifying, which is the word of God. 
We must take up another offensive and defensive weapon. The Spirit. The Word of God. Think about the way that this Word is used to defend ourselves. Think about Jesus in the wilderness. In After 40 days of fasting, Satan comes to tempt him. He comes to, to try and say, look, just ask and, and we'll turn the stones into bread. Jesus resists. Satan comes back with the word and using it falsely. And Jesus clarifies with the word. The word is used as a defensive weapon to defend off the lies of Satan. Knowing that word, believing that word, storing that word in our hearts. It helps us to stay on the defensive it helps protect us against the lies of the world and, and protects us from the evil of our own hearts. But it's also offensive. It works. It attacks. It cuts the enemy and it cuts hardened hearts. Hebrews 4. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. Do you realize the word of God as it works? It cuts both in our hearts as Christians and the hearts of unbelievers. It cuts in our hearts of exposing idols. It cuts in our hearts of exposing every false way, every sin within us. As the word of God goes forth, as the word of God is proclaimed, it exposes what we are as sinners and our ongoing need of Jesus. The word of God alone does that work. A church that is about everything else but the word will not be a true church because it's not grounded on the word, which attacks and exposes sin. It works in hearts to, to reveal those things. But it also fails to win souls to Christ because it's not cutting to the heart of the unbeliever, the one who is hardened in their sin. It does not, it's not able to do that work. The word must be always present if the kingdom of God is to be advanced in the hearts of unbelievers. It must strike at their hearts. The word must go forth. But how are we to do this? These are the means that we're given uh, of the tools of the full armor of God. We're called to put on all of these on. But how? How do we do it when we're weak? How do we do it when we're struggling? God gives us a means to the means. Look at verse 18. 18 through 20. Praying at all times in the spirit. With all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. God gives a means to the means in prayer. Calling us to pray at all times. Making supplications for these things. You're struggling to remember righteousness? Pray. Make supplication to remember. To recall. To be refreshed in that reminder. We are called to plead to God for these things. When our faith is weak, we pray to God to strengthen that faith. Whether through the means of a brother or sister or through our devotion time reading his word, through a Sunday morning sermon, through whatever means, we pray that the Lord would strengthen that faith. 
Paul, even for himself, asked to pray for his mouth to open boldly, to speak with boldness in declaring the gospel of peace. When we realize our feet are still and we're not moving with the gospel, we pray, asking God, give our hearts hearts that desire to proclaim boldly this gospel message. Give us the ability and this desire. Not, Pastor, we don't do that. Pray. Give ourselves to pray these things. Pray that we would put on the helmet of salvation and rest in our salvation in Christ alone without trying to add to it and thinking somehow our works are needed to save us, that somehow we must do something to please God. We cannot please God except in Jesus Christ, and that comes through faith and faith alone in Him alone. By God's grace alone. Reminding and strengthening of those truths. Pray that the word would grow deeper in us. That the seeds of the word would bear fruit in our hearts. Growing to 30 and 60 and 100 fold. Pray. The means to the means is prayer. But church, there, there's a danger here. There are many churches that think they are praying churches when most of the prayer time is given to the health needs of the church or the gossip sessions. Friends, if your prayer times, whether individually or corporately, are more about keeping people out of the kingdom of God instead of advancing the kingdom of God, there's an issue. And what I mean by that is when all we do is focus on health needs and physical things of this world, and it, it's not completely wrong to do that. Don't mishear me. It's okay to pray for very pressing things, but that should not be the majority of our time. Think the Lord's Prayer. Think about the prayers throughout the Bible. What is the emphasis? It's on these very things that Paul has been telling us here in the book of Ephesians. The Lord's Prayer himself, Lord, how do we pray? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's for God's rule and reign to come into this earth in our hearts. So we pray. We pray for the advancement of the kingdom. We pray for the spiritual maturing of the believers. We pray for the unity of the church. We pray for an understanding of Christ. We pray for deepening in this knowledge. Friends, I don't care how much you think you're unable to do things. Start here. Start by praying. Pray to God to awaken you to seeing the need to pray more spiritually. For more spiritual deep things rather than just using prayer time as a gossip session of what's going on in everybody's lives. And spending more time talking than on our knees with our heads bowed in submission to Christ. Oh, help us. Help us from doing these foolish things and actually become a praying church. Because this is how we push back the kingdom of darkness as we advance the kingdom of light. Friends, let us be putting on the whole armor by giving ourselves to prayer. True, meaningful, spiritual prayer. This week, I challenge you, make that a priority in your individual prayer times, but also as you gather again Wednesday or next Sunday, 
be filled with prayer for spiritual deep things to push back the kingdom of darkness. There's one last point we need to consider here. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 is hard. It's a call to a real war to be awakened with fervor, to put on armor and fight a fight. But notice Paul's means of writing this letter. Notice even hopefully what you hear from me, it's not a means to dis- call you to despair, but to awaken and ultimately encourage you to what is good and helpful to help you persevere in your faith. Point number four, our encouragement. Verse 21. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Titius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. We've had strong challenges here, but the the goal of Paul's letter is to encourage the hearts of the church of Ephesus. A church that failed to hear this warning and will later be told in the book of Revelation that you have lost your first love. You have lost your love of Christ. Paul's aim was to encourage them to be grounded in these truths and to fight, to stand firm. Central City Baptist Church, I want to ask you right now. Will you stand and fight or will you lose your first love of Christ? That's the question before you all in this season of transition. Will you love Christ and keep your first love in him? Will you stand and fight the good fight of faith in looking to Jesus and who you are in him? Or will you continue to go about pragmatic approaches that will always fail? That will always fail in due time. Pragmatic approaches of doing ministry outside of the means that God has given in his word will always fail. Be a word-centered people. Be a spirit-filled people by pursuing Jesus and being about his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you.